We continue now with our fifth podcast on the second half of American history. In our fourth podcast, we looked at the impact, significant impact of the railroads, not only within the United States as a whole, but also significantly to the South or in the former Confederate States of America. We looked at what is now the worldwide standard tract width of four feet, eight and a half inches in the way that time zones had to be created because of how fast now that humans were able to travel from point A to point B. In this podcast, we're going to be looking at why the South, however, despite the advent of the railroad in their regions of the United States, why the South lagged behind the North, considerably so, in the decades following the American Civil War. We're also going to take a look at race issues, take two, in this podcast as well. So within the South, they lagged behind the North largely because of two reasons. The capital, meaning financial investment, was one. Secondly, the technology trickled down to the South rather than flooded it. For the South to rebuild and get away again from a slave-based economy to a wage-based economy, they were going to need a huge infusion of capital and modern technology, as well as the workings of the educated class to help develop the South and bring it up to modern times compared to that of the North. Because of that, however, of the riskiness of the South, by and large, that capital that was so sorely needed, along with the technology and educated class, never really infiltrated the South the way so many people thought it would as fast as it would. The Southern economy, bottom line, was just considered too risky. So as a point of analogy, imagine if you own a leather goods manufacturing firm. You make things like belts and hats and shoes, purses and wallets. And you're so successful that you have several, it's almost a franchise now, you have several different of these businesses throughout states in the North. And every time you open up a new one, you work with your same banker whom that you've worked with for many, many years now, you get a nice low interest rate when you open, when you need the funds to open up a new store or a new firm. And then you go to your same trusted insurance agent to give you that very competitive rate and dollar amount to cover your assets in the event of a fire or sabotage or what have you. So now that the South is open for business, that it's no longer the Confederate States of America, but is now the reunited States of America, you start eyeing a couple of states to open up your firms. However, when you get down there, you're distraught to see just how devastated the land is, the harbors, the stench, from decomposing corpses of animals, as well as, unfortunately, not too hard to find, a human being that never had the proper burial that they were deserved, that they deserved. Their, the war was just simply too violent, too deadly, and moved too fast. But you try to look the other way, you find a site to build your firm, and then you go knock on your banker and your insurance person's uh, uh, insurance agent's door, and you're aghast to find out 
that that nice low interest rate that was always extended to you from your banker is suddenly extremely high now. Likewise, to insure your building, to insure your firm, is going to be a lot more money than it was when you were opening up places in the north. Why? Because again, the southern economy was just considered too risky. You see, good banking and good insurance agents, as an, I'm not just individuals, but as an industry, they know how to scope out where the dangers lie, and most importantly, how to keep track of them. They, do, they did it then no different than it is done today. Is again a point of analogy. Imagine that you pull up into your driveway in your car that you own, and you know, it's not a bad car. You don't mind it. And there's your good neighbor across the street that pulls up in a brand new Ferrari. You're thinking, wait a minute. How the heck did he get a Ferrari? I make more money than he does. So you run across the street and you talk to him or her and you're about the Ferrari and you say, okay, hey, how much did this cost? Well, I had to finance it, but I got a great interest rate of only 5.9%. So I know I'm going to do better than that because I've got better credit scores, but you don't say that, of course. And how much does it cost you to insure it? Only a thousand bucks a year. Well, that's because you have five accidents on your record. I have none. But again, you don't say that. So you run to the dealership and you pick out that new Ferrari. So you have one just like your neighbors and you go to get that financing and you're expecting to see better than 5.9%, but your jaw hits the desk when you see that it's 9%. The insurance costing you $3,000 a year instead of a thousand for your buddy across the street. What gives, you ask? Why do I have such worse rates and numbers than my friend across the street who's at a much higher risk than I am? Okay, maybe individually, but that's not the only factor that the banking and insurance industry takes into account. They also take into account the statistics that are contained within your zone improvement plan. Yes, everywhere in the United States has a zone improvement plan area and it's designated by a code. Everybody that lives, no matter where your address is, you have a zone improvement plan code. If you're not sure what that is and think for sure, I've never heard of it, you have. You just know it by its acronym, Zone Z Improvement I Plan P. That's your zip code. And the bottom line is that when you find out, much to your chagrin, much to your disappointment, that your Ferrari is going to cost you a lot more to finance and insure than your buddy across the street, because that street defines one zip code and you live in another zip code. And statistically, your zip code might be smaller than your buddy across the street, but your rate of GTA is far higher. In other words, GTA, Grand Theft Auto. And I'm not talking about people that play the video game, as my sons once reminded me, Dad, that's actually a video game, just so you know. Well, thanks for that update. But no, we're talking about the real GTA, the number of high-profile, expensive cars that are stolen within a given zip code's boundaries. Your buddy across the street has a much lower rate of that than you do in your zip code. So this is what we're talking about here that the South is going to struggle with. They are largely regarded, the former 11 states of the Confederacy are largely regarded as one massive zip code that is nothing but a significantly high, higher rate of risk. So please keep that in mind as we talk about these decades that continue on after the American Civil War. Why did the Southern's economy 
lapse behind so long? Well, these are the significant reasons that added to the South's lag. In terms of females in the New South, ironically enough, it would be in the North, in a place called Hillsborough, Ohio, in 1873, that founded the WCTU, the Women's Christians Temperance Union, that was pushing women to become more involved, not only in the North, but also the South as well, which is going to push more female into politics in the South than it would initially in the North. In terms of race relations, taking another look at that, since a couple of podcasts ago we were discussing race relations immediately following the conclusion of the American Civil War, two omnipotent laws seem to kind of invade not only southern states, but northern and western states as well. And those two laws would be this, that number one, minorities should not show any sign of prosperity. They would once again be relegated to making sure that they only wore clothing that was of bare bones necessity. In other words, things like cuffs, pleats, and collars would be a no-no. No, you're not going to find these laws written anywhere but you're going to know if you're a minority and you broke those laws that they are on the books, an invisible set of books, but on the books nonetheless. So number one, that minorities should not show prosperity. And secondly, that they are not to challenge white authority in any capacity. That's the reason why that excerpt that I read to you from Stephen Ambrose's book, Making America, or To America, as he called it, That's part of the reason why that white graduate student could kick the car that had an American flag hanging from its antenna, and immediately that white graduate student knew that that car belonged to a minority, because as that student told Dr. Ambrose, we white boys down here don't fly the American flag, we fly the Confederate flag. So if that's an American flag, that car is owned by a minority. That kind of mindset would continue to foster the divisions in the South as well as the North for decades to come. This would also push to the unfortunate incident of lynching becoming truly an epidemic. Between 1882 and 1968, there were roughly 4,700 documented lynchings, according to the NAACP. Yes, mostly were African-American. Now you might say, wait a minute. I would have thought they're all African-American. No, if you were a white person, but seen as a sympathizer for minorities' plight in, in American affairs, you could also find yourself lynched. Once again, these families of the lynched loved ones that are hanging from a tree or a lamppost, what, do you, what can they do? call 911, even though it doesn't exist at this time, even if it did, what are they going to call? Why would they get any kind of response? They wouldn't. This is what we're talking about again, where the Civil War in terms of mentality just simply continued on after the Civil War came to a close. And it wasn't getting any better for minorities, no matter how high up the American government levels, they chased their rights because the Supreme Court came down with its massive gavel In that infamous decision in Plessy versus Ferguson passed in 1896 in a 7-to-1 majority when they ruled that segregation does not 
violate the Constitution as long as it was, quote, separate but equal. Now, obviously, that decision will be overturned, but it's going to take over five decades for that to happen. And until that happens, separate but equal will be the law of the land, even though separate but equal is by itself an oxymoron. To give you an idea, for those that are listening that maybe have never felt what it was like to be considered separate, but quote-unquote treated equally. There was an incident, in fact, you could see this for yourself if you choose to, up in the Henry Ford Museum, just outside of Detroit, Michigan. When you get off of Rosa Parks' bus that we'll talk about when we get to the 1950s, when you get off of her bus, if you turn to the left, you'll see a water fountain. And I purposely was setting my kids up because I said when we were on Rosa Parks bus and my wife and I were explaining the importance of that bus and that woman, Rosa Parks, in American history. As we got off the bus, I knew about the water fountains. So I said, hey, kids, let's get some water. Oh, we're we're fine, Dad. I said, no, just a little bit of water. I said, it's kind of a display. It'll be neat to be able to say you got water from here. Oh, okay. So I was kind of setting them up to want to do this. So when they got off the bus, I said, there's the water fountains. I said a plural. And they walked to it, didn't even blink an eye. And I said, hold it, hold it. Which water fountain are you going to use? They look up. What difference does it make? They're both the same. I said, that may look that way, but that's not really the case. Look at the signs above it. And it said, whites only, blacks. Whites only, blacks. Those are the two signs. And they looked at me and said, so... We're white, Dad, so we have to use the white one? I said, no, as a white person, you can use either one you want. Oh, okay. So they started, I said, wait a minute. What if you were black? Which one can you use? Well, I guess we can only use the one. And then, of course, the look dawned on them. It, I could see by the look on their faces it was dawning on them. Why, Dad, Mom, what's the difference? Why would you have two of the same water fountains right next to one another, where whites can use either, but blacks can only use one. Welcome to civil rights, kids. Let's have a drink, and then let's have a talk. And that's where an opportunity, and in some cases, you can talk about these things until you're blue in the face. In other cases, when you can physically bring people to an example of what this was like, that is far more effective in less than a minute than it would be for me talking about it for an hour. Along this line of that infamous court case of Plessy versus Ferguson, America was also witnessing the continued oppression of allowing minorities to vote within the United States through one of three means. The first was the poll tax, literally charging somebody for the right to vote. And because those taxes could be significant, that often kept minorities out of the voting boxes. The second part was the second tactic was the grandfather clause. The grandfather clause meaning if your grandfather couldn't vote in an American election, then you can't vote either. But wait a minute, but they were a slave. What what are you going to do? Try to argue with them? Do you really think you're going to make any headway there? That was the grandfather clause. And the third, which also kept a lot of people out of the voting booths, was the reading test. 
If there was a known member of the KKK coming up to get his ballot and sees another one of his fellow KKKers there, but that man also saw a couple of people standing behind him, he might say, hey, yeah, good to see you, but um, in order to vote, you got to know how to read. So I got to make sure you know how to read before I give you your ballot. So the KKK lunkhead says, okay, what do I got to read? And he gets a little piece of paper with it, and it says, see, spot, run. Hey, it looks at that. You can write. You can read. Go and enjoy. There's your voting ballot. Go ahead and vote. But then a black man walks up or a sympathetic white man walks up and says, I want to vote. Yeah, but just like him, you got to know how to read. Oh, okay. Well, I heard what he read, and I can read that too, see, spot, run. No, no, no. We, we, we have multiple tests. You see, you don't get that one. And instead, they bring out a piece of parchment, piece of paper that already has a couple of statements that are pre-printed already on it. And it goes something like this. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands that have connected them with another and on and on. And the average person who doesn't read on a regular basis is going to struggle with that sentence, especially that it's old English. And then immediately the members guarding the polling booths would say, see, you're struggling to read. And that's the first sentence of our Declaration of Independence. And if you can't read that, you can't read the voting ballot. Maybe next time. The combination of these three efforts to keep people out of the voting box was is the part of the reason why the tension continued to build and so the and civil rights continued to dwindle for any kind of hope of equality in the decades after the American Civil War. There never would be in those years either any kind of national outcry against such abuses. And it's the reason why education for minorities continued to decline after a brief time when education was actually going up. And we end this podcast as we have our look at the race relations in the Deep South by exploring two individuals of significant importance, African-American leaders that will influence individuals like a future Martin Luther King. And the first was Booker T. Washington, and the second was W.E.B. Du Bois, a co-founder of the NAACP. In the bottom line between those two individuals, as well as future Black leaders like Dr. King, as well as future Black leaders like Colin Powell, Senator J. Senator J. C. Watts, Condoleezza Rice, Colin Powell, as we know, a four-star general, as well as a former national security advisor and secretary of state. Condoleezza Rice also had those two roles of a NSC advisor and secretary of state. She is also an accomplished concert pianist. She can hold discussions with almost any sport nut on there and completely hold her own. She's extremely well-read, well-rounded, Yet these leaders in our modern times also shared some common denominators with Washington and Du Bois of these times that we're talking about. And the bottom line is that there were three common denominators which allowed these individuals to advance the cause of, and the efforts and accomplishments within the realm of civil rights. 
the first of the three common denominator was to launch peaceful protests. That's the reason we hear and read about during uh, challenging uh, challenges during this time by minorities that are advancing for uh, civil rights by things like sit-ins and quiet challenges. So peaceful protest was the first one that they definitely endorsed. The second was peaceful challenges. But again, in no way are they ever advocating violence or the use of violence to advance their cause. And while one in two, the peaceful protests and the peaceful challenges might be somewhat predictable or understandable that, that those would be two other common denominators, the third one might not be so much. And that was the push as much as possible to educate yourself. As one, as one American black leader said on national television, when they were fighting the idea of going to college and high school because America isn't fair with its education, educate yourself. Washington pushed that. Du Bois pushed that. Martin Luther King will push that in future decades. The idea being that even if you can't go to school in the early years, educate your children. Educating them educates yourself. Continue to push for an education. Be the person in that room that nobody can do without. Be that mind that people need in order to advance the good of humanity. Educate yourself. So those were the three common denominators that we're talking about in this period of time, taking a second look at this area in American history, in time period within U.S. history. So that's, again, we look at, at race relations in America post-Civil War and why the South was lagging in its economy. We're also going to push on at this point, too, to look, therefore, not only just at the South, but significantly in other regions of the United States, specifically the major cities, as industry, immigrants, and the rise of big cities would dominate the political landscape and social landscape starting now in this time period and for decades to come. So when we come back for the next podcast, we're going to be looking at how the impact of electricity and so many other inventions that, of course, also being steel and how that was going to positively impact the rise of industry in the United States and eventually making America truly not only a superpower, but arguably one of the most powerful armed forces on the planet and making the United States the indispensable trading partner for so many countries around the world for decades to come. So that wraps up what we discussed here in our fifth podcast. If you have any questions, please go to my website, ceconsella.com. If you have any uh, comments or book recommendations as well, please let me know. If you like what we discussed today, please leave me a review. As always, thanks again for listening. Have a great remainder of your day. Welcome to Engaging History. My name is Christopher Kinsella, author of Chain of Deception. I'm a professor of history at Cuyahoga Community College in Northeast Ohio. My podcasts are not endorsed by any individual or organization. 
This podcast is my opinion and interpretation of the historical events that I will discuss. The purpose of the podcasts are in general to discuss American and world history in a way that engages you and explains so much of the country and the world around you. But I also discuss it in a way that is understandable and interesting. Thank you.